Good morning. Welcome to our 29th of our November service. Glad you are here. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving with your close friend and family, most likely. I'm glad you're here this morning. If you're watching with us online, glad to be with you here this morning as well. I, uh, you know, as a pastor, I get um, a fair amount of correspondence, like most pastors do, and you know, some of it is, um, you know, uh, thanks and praise, and some of it is um, constructive criticism, and most of that comes, you know, from the congregation, uh, from you all, but occasionally I get um, a note from someone in the community, and when I do, you know, I, 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 I pay close attention to it and kind of put it in a special place of, of weight and significance because, you know, when, you, when someone says something to you that's not a part of your community, um, you know, it's, it's, um, it, it may give you a different perspective. You're hearing from somebody who isn't there to, uh, you know, there's no real established relationship. They're just telling you what they think. And I got one of those letters this week, to at least uh, very recently, maybe it was the week before dated November 17th from our mayor said this. Dear Pastor, I want to thank you for your amazing staff and their continued desire to serve the people of our community. My assistant reached out to one of your campus pastors, uh, Peter Engler, uh, concerning the need for one of our city's senior citizens, Mrs. Linda V. Ms. V was in need of windows and contacted my office for assistance. Unfortunately, the city did not have the funding to repair the windows in her home. After this occurred, my assistant reached out to Peter Englert, after remembering community support provided by Browncroft in the past. Pastor Englert put Mrs. V in contact with Mr. Josh Burdett of Browncroft who arranged to meet her and assess the needs of this proposed project to determine how your church could assist with the window replacement. I am most grateful for the continued support. Browncroft Community Church continues to show our administration as we serve the residents of the city. Thank you, Mayor Lovely Warren. Um, that's just, you know, one letter and, and one family, but I, I, I read it partly because I just got it, but it really tees up really what I want to talk about this morning or the best of what I want to talk about this morning, which is being for our community, right? We want to be, uh, the, the challenge of this message this morning, but really of the series, is are we actually for our community or our communities as a church. You know, I think I mentioned this in a previous sermon. You know, if, if, if our church closed, you know, not just for a Sunday or for, you know, a series of Sundays because of something like a pandemic, but if we just, you know, closed for good for one reason or another, right, the doors were locked for good, would the community we live in or the communities that we serve, would they feel a loss? Would they feel a, a difference because this church is not here? My sense is, my, my answer, maybe I'm biased, is yes, they would, I think, uh, some of them. I think they would feel us, but I think that God is calling us to do more, especially in the season that we are living in. So that's what I want to talk about this morning, a, a message titled, For our community. The passage is from the book of Acts where we were once before in this series, chapter 4, verses 31 to 37. Follow along as I read this passage. Acts 4, 31 to 37. After they prayed, the apostles and the early church, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. 
All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. The book of Acts, I probably mentioned this before, like the book of Genesis, which we studied and will be studying again next month, is, um, or in January, I should say, is a book of origins. It's not talking about the origins of the universe, it's talking about the origins of the church. It's about the creation of a people, okay? Called out group of people, it's called the church. But it's a, it's a called out group of people that are not defined by the old categories of race and you know, social class, but by a new way of life, okay? That's really, we, we, we just saw this in this passage. And that's why this passage, it's one of a few handful of what we call summary passages, right? This sort of idyllic snapshot of the church. It's here for a reason. It's not to make me feel bad or you to feel bad. It's not to say if your church doesn't measure up, you know, uh, you know uh, too bad for you. No, but saying, listen, this is what the church is supposed to be. Right? This is a picture. It's almost like at a wedding. If you go to a wedding, right? You know, those of you who are married, you know when you're at a wedding and they say all these wonderful things, or the pastor does anyway and says, you know, you, know, th- th- you guys are making a commitment, you know, to, you know, to love, you know, richer or poorer, health, uh, in, in health, sickness or in health. I mean, nobody in, in, in their right mind can honestly say yes to those things, that they're going to do all of those things because it's an aspirational um, commitment. It's painting the best of pictures to say, listen, with God's help, with each other's help, with the community around you, we're going to do our best to stay true to this picture that's being painted in these brief words or the passage of Scripture. Same goes here. Right, But this is what we want to stop and think about, right? Because if we're really going to be for our community, it's not because we say we are. It's not necessarily because we give any money. It's because of the way in which we live our lives among our community. This is about a changed lives, right? There was no needy people among them. From time to time, those who did this or that, you know, um, they, they gave what they could give so that there would be no one who had needs existing that were not met. This is is, is an aspirational and powerful thing. It's about changed life. Listen, it's about changing lives and inviting other people, right? People who would not be inclined to be in a church service online or in person today, inviting them into this community. That's what we're talking about. Now, it has to begin, this grand uh, vision, it has to begin with us. Okay, I'm talking to the people in this room, watching me online, talking about the friends and members of Browncroft Community Church. It has to begin with us. First, we need to shake loose. I need to shake loose. You need to shake loose your fears and your fantasies, I think. What is this passage? If I want to be this kind of Christian, all these believers were one heart and one mind. Is that true of me and you? Sometimes. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. It doesn't mean I, I throw everything out to the side of the road, but it's just saying, in my heart, 
everything I have. I don't really claim it as my own. And they shared everything that they had, right? With the, great, the, the grace of God was so powerfully at work among them that there were no needy persons among them. Is that true of me? Is that true of you, right? This is, for that to be true, for this to be my vision, for this to be our vision in the communities that we live, I think this passage tells us we need to be shaken loose of our fears and our fantasies. This is one of the summary passages. And in this summary passage, Colin mentioned this when he was leading worship a minute ago, there's this, this, this movement of the Holy Spirit. There's a shaking. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. It's kind of an odd thing when we think about it, right? But, you, but, but the writer's doing this not only to, I think, say what happened, only give account of what's been happening here, what happened in, in this early account, but to make a point, like a lot of the writers are doing. And he's talking about a different example of when shaking happens in the scriptures, especially people who knew whose Bible were the Old Testament. A couple examples, right? Shaking happened in the scriptures as a, as a demonstration, a manifestation of the power of God showing up. Exodus chapter 19 is one example. When they're coming to get the, receive the Ten Commandments, to receive the covenant, a very important moment in the history of Israel. Most people would know that if you were Jewish or you were an early Christian, perhaps. That was your Bible. And when Moses is getting ready to receive the Ten Commandments, the smoke of the, 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 the there's these, these clouds, there's this pillar of smoke and fire, and it says the mountain, Mount Sinai, began to shake violently, right? It was a sign of God's presence. Uh, uh, many chapters later, years later, the great ch uh, Isaiah, those of you who you know, love missions, you maybe heard many messages about the great missionary passage of Isaiah, the great prophet who was one of the few people who was in a manner of speaking found his way, he doesn't know how, in the very throne room of God, Isaiah chapter six. He's there somehow in a vision. He's in the throne room of God. He sees almighty God on his throne and he's freaking out in the sense of that's so overwhelmingly amazing. There's these angels, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty over and over again. There's smoke and it says, and the doorposts and the thresholds of the temple began to shake, right? That's what it says. The shaking was a manifestation in those two accounts and others of the power of God showing up. Here, Acts chapter four, the place where they were meeting was shaken. It's not the mountain that's shaking. It's not the doorposts that are shaking. In a sense, it's the people of God themselves, right, that are shaking. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Listen, the reason for this prayer, by the way, after they prayed, I didn't read the prayer, the apostles, was because it was, they got together, it's, a, it's an important prayer, because for the very first time, we're only in Acts chapter four, for the very first time, the apostles, the leaders, I think Peter and John in this case, Peter and John were thrown into prison, or thrown into jail. Now, I, I, now, these guys were pretty smart, they walked with Jesus, but I have to believe, prior to Acts chapter four, when this happened, we didn't read it, it's in the opening, that, you know, when Jesus gave this great sermon on the mountain, you know, go into all the world and preach the gospel, 
and I'll be with you to the very, very end, right? The Great Commission. Or when a couple days later or weeks later when they're in um, Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit comes and the church starts in this beautiful um, moment where all these languages come together, the people of different languages and the church is born and thousands are saved. I don't think at that moment, if I was a journalist and I could talk to one of those in the early church, they would have anticipated this, that in a very short time they would be arrested and thrown in jail. Not for breaking a law, not for committing a crime, but for preaching the gospel. But that's what happened to these men. And when they were released, I didn't read it, verse 23, they sit down to pray. There's a real reason, I guess this is here for you and me, shaking loose of your fears and your fantasies, to if you and I are serious about wanting to, make, to, to be for this community, Okay? I mean, really bring the gospel in, in, in various ways to the peoples of this community and this world. There will be re- opposition. There will be reasons for fear, okay? as it was here. But I think it forged a dependence. Think about your own life. It forged a dependence on God. That's what you see in this passage. That helped make a, create a quality of Christianity that changed the community, right? Because this is what it's really all about. This fear, right? They got together, they prayed. It helped create a quality of Christian, a quality of Christianity that as a result of this actually changed a community. Didn't just change hearts, didn't just change minds, but helped change a community. Many of you know, because I think I've said this before, but if you don't, the, the Church of Jesus Christ launched here in the book of Acts, maybe this covers 30, 40, 50 years, but for the next, for the first 300 years of the church, okay, we know this from from history, from the first 300 years of the church, the church of Jesus Christ had an explosive growth. See, we all know about it, whether, whether you're a Christian or not, you know, everybody knows about the Christian, you know, people, probably two billion people or more, maybe closer to three, who live on this planet today self-identify as Christians, okay? But that wasn't always the case. The church was, did, didn't cover the earth overnight, but it had some of its greatest growth in the history of the church after the book of Acts for about another 250 years. In the first 300 years of the church, the church had some explosive growth. By the end of the first 300 years, by the beginning of the fourth century, the church of Jesus Christ was on the map in a manner of speaking. But you know why it was, as um, people who've studied this tell us, in the book of Acts onward, it's not because of massive evangelistic campaigns. It's not because of very sophisticated missionary strategies. The primary reason, the one at the top, is because during the second and third centuries, there were major epidemics. And when those epidemics happened, right? When when most people in the Roman Empire were heading for the hills. There was a big one in the middle of the second century. Marcus Aurelius was the emperor, and they believe it was smallpox. We don't know, but they believe it was smallpox, but that's what it actually was. They didn't know what it was. In that period of time, the Church of Jesus Christ was about 100 years old, and it says one-third of the entire Roman Empire. Okay, think about that. One-third, whatever the populations were, basically perished. And when that happened... Smart-meaning, well-meaning, uh, thoughtful people headed for the hills so they wouldn't get this, this contagion wouldn't spread. 
the Christians, so it was reported, people who had been shaken loose of some of their fears, shaken loose of some of their fancies about what life is really all about, said, listen, I have an anchor of the soul. I, I know where I'm going when I die. I have a love that has, that has challenged and changed my life so much that instead of heading for the hills, I'm gonna head toward those people in need. And they went toward those who were suffering instead of away from those who were suffering. Many of them died, many of them didn't. But as a result of that happening, not just once, but three or four times in two or 300 years, the people of the, here's what happens in, in an epidemic like that or in a disaster like that. The, the crisis or the disaster sort of translates into a crisis of faith. The, the, the natural disaster turns into a, 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 a faith disaster, or the natural crisis becomes a crisis of faith. And here's what happens. Whatever people believed before the epidemic, maybe in our own, maybe it's a religion, maybe they're Christian, maybe they're Jewish, maybe they're Muslim, maybe they're, maybe they're secular of a kind. Whatever it is that they believe, their system is taxed such, in many cases, that that system cannot meet the demands of their heart, the demands of their fears, the demands of the questions that they have. And as a result, they're looking for different answers. That's how the early church of Jesus Christ um, took off. And what I'm saying to you guys um, is we might be in this place today. I got a letter from a, one of our friend from here from church. He said this a couple weeks ago. I was talking about the, um, the Tower of Babel and being scattered. Talked about the book of Acts, the scattering. And he said, you know, Pastor Rob, I wonder, I wonder, as we're going through this epidemic, if maybe God is calling us to, to go back to our, scattering us into our communities. And maybe what we need to do is, 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 is create little churches in our homes we can take advantage of the church's technology. We can, we can use the church's resources, but start inviting people in our community of church in our living rooms, right? I don't know. Let me say this. I don't know how many of us listening here actually know any of the 13 million people, Americans, who have the virus. I don't know. I don't know how many of us know any of the 90,000 people that today are in a hospital in the United States of America. Some of us do, maybe many of us don't. Or how many of us may know of anyone who's died 1,400 a day. But I do know this. There's not a person in this room who is not living around people whose lives have been affected and changed by this epidemic. And what I'm saying is, I think what God might be doing is shaking us loose, right? The church of Jesus Christ of our fears, not only our fears, but as I say, our fantasies. I think the biggest thing that's keeping most people from living out their faith in a countercultural way, myself included. This is countercultural. All the believers of one heart and mind, no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. Is that you? Is that me? Okay. Everything they had. I think for people to live in this countercultural way, I think the main reason they don't, I don't sometimes, is because we've embraced the world's value system. See, that's what really stands in our way. It's so subtle that many of us don't even know we're doing it. What is the world's value system? Well, it says it right here. All the believers were of one heart and mind. No one claimed that anything, any of their possessions were their own. Okay, this is the heart of the world's value system. Not only that your possessions or my possessions are own, but even more than that, your life is your own. Listen, we live in a world 
right, that is defined by what are my rights, what are my demands. If the, the world is here to serve me, right? Not I'm here to serve the world. If you want to know, if I want to know if I'm a true Christian, if God has really changed my life, if he's really shaken me of my fears and shaken me of fantasies, I'm going to ask myself this question. I would encourage you to ask this question when you wake up tomorrow, when you go out about this week. Do you see the world, whatever it is, the people of the world, the systems of the world, there to serve your needs? Or do you feel called, do I feel called, even in my community, even in my world, as someone sent to meet the needs of those around me. That's what these people did. And if I want to be serious, if you want to be serious, if we want to be serious about truly being a church that doesn't just say we love people that don't know Christ, that doesn't just say we want to be the hands and feet of Jesus, that doesn't just say we want to be salt and light in a dark community, but that actually are people who are committed to the way of Jesus, who people who really are salt and are light, those are metaphors, are making an impact in the community. There's only going to be one way. You've got to be shaken of your fears that typically drive most of our lives and be shaken of our fantasy. I'm talking about thinking that what the world says life is about is what you and I think it's about. Right? There's this first and second Kings, I think it says, about the repopulated peoples um, in Israel after it went into exile and says, you know, they, 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 they worship the Lord because they had to worship the Lord because he was the God of the land, the God of Israel. They worship the Lord but serve their own gods. Right? This is the people. I wonder if that's not the case for many of us. We need to be shaken from our fears and our fantasy. Second, we need to be radically generous with our time and our money. This powerful work of grace, it's the words of the 33rd verse, God's grace was so powerfully at work among them. This, this work of grace was spontaneous, okay? It was voluntary, and it was done uh, um, not as a duty, but as a general outflow of what God had done for them. But, and though it begins with the church, it starts in the church, right? Most of these needs, I think what they're trying to say is the church of Jesus Christ, it was a brand new community, right? It's very young in Acts chapter four. But it was started with people meeting each other's needs, but it had to extend to the community ultimately because here's why. People, and this has probably always been true, but I think especially today, People need to feel, I'm talking about, think about the people that are on your street. Think about the people that you um, uh, recreate with. Think about the people in your office. People that might have outwardly a lot of uh, material success, but inwardly um, there's a spiritual poverty. People need to feel they belong before they're willing to um, believe something about a particular faith, okay? They need to feel like they belong first. And what this passage is saying, this is how it's done. We need to go towards people's needs, especially in a time like we are living right now, and be able to realize that God has called us, right? Here's a, think about this. This is, this is really my, my, my main big idea uh, for this whole message. Are we a community, okay? Are we a community that is committed to meeting needs of those around us with the resources God has given us, okay? Are we a community that is committed to meeting 
needs of those around us with the resources God has given. Think about this. I'm not just talking about physical needs, right? That's one way to do it. But I'm talking about emotional needs. I'm talking about spiritual poverty. It's interesting that in this passage that we just read, God's grace was so powerfully at work among them all that there were no needy persons among them. And from time to time, say it's not mandated, it's spontaneous, people owned land or houses, brought the money, and they put it at the disciples' feet, and they distributed to anyone who had need. But there's no distinction here that says the needs, it's that the church of Jesus Christ is about meeting poor people's needs. Right? It's one way to do it. But it's just about meeting needs, right? Are we a community that's committed to meeting needs? Am I a person who lives on a street, who works in an office, to meeting the needs of those around us with the resources God has given? That's the question that this passage answers. And if, 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 if I'm going to get more letters in a manner of speaking, if, we're gonna, if you're going to get more letters in a manner of speaking, it's going to be because the answer to that question is yes. That I'm not just using my money, but I'm using my time. Not only to meet people's physical needs, if I can do that, if I happen to be around people that have physical needs, but their emotional needs. Okay? Some of you know this, but you know, spiritual poverty is every bit as ugly as material poverty. But we have to be willing to see it for what it is. And I think right now we are living in a day, right? where people all around us, we're not talking about what's going on in the far corners of the world. We're talking about what's going on everywhere, including the communities where we live, where people's um, um, sense of anxiety is going through the roof, where people's sense of fear is going through the roof, where people who don't have the hope that you and I have, they're, they're doing everything they can do to retreat. That's a spiritual poverty. And the question is, do I have the wherewithal? Do I have the heart and the desire to want to go towards those people, wherever they are, and share with them um, the spiritual, emotional, and physical resources that I have to help meet needs in their life, right? That's what we're talking about. That's what you saw happen in this community, and it radically changed what happened um, with this church. It's what I'm hoping will happen with us. You know, it ends with Barnabas. This passage, verse 36, two quick reasons why it ends with Barnabas. One is, of course, the example of Barnabas that he gave. It's, it's called out. And I think it's called out because Barnabas was someone who was kind of a special class of people. He sold the field that he owned. If you sell a field that you own, okay, in this culture, it's even true in our own, but in this culture, you are in a very small group of people. Anybody that owned land, they were the super rich, very, very, very few people own land. And what they're trying to say to you, number one is, is, I think Luke is just trying to say, listen, I want to call out one person who made an exemplary sacrifice. The church of Jesus Christ was, but it's not just a, it's a sacrifice that was born out of someone whose, whose life had been changed, who'd been shaken of their fears, who'd been shaken of their fantasies, maybe. That, you know, he with the most things wins. And he says, you know, that's not what life is all about anymore. But the second reason Barnabas is highlighted here, I believe, is because beyond his great sacrifice, the role that he would play in the rest of the book of Acts when it came to the spreading of the gospel was second to none. The, as you many, we've talked about this before, but the church of Jesus Christ was at this crisis early on. And the crisis, not too, too different from our own in some ways, had to do with prejudice and race. Except in this case, it was Jew and it was Gentile. 
And the church was wonderful as long as all the people were Jewish. And then it began to come apart. And in Acts chapter 8, just a few chapters forward, a great crisis happens in Jerusalem. I mentioned this before, I think, in the first sermon of this series. And at that great crisis, the one great church of the, of the church of Jesus Christ was emptied out overnight because of persecution. It says everybody left 10,000 people except for the apostles. You know where they went? They scattered to the winds. And a few chapters later, they end up mainly gathering, not in Jerusalem anymore, never again, the new center of the movement becomes a city called Antioch. It's in modern-day Turkey. And this became the place where the church did the rest of its work throughout the rest of the history of the recorded, the Bible's record of the church. And Barnabas said this to himself. All these people are gathered. We need somebody who knows how to teach this book in this gospel for all these people. And he said the person is the apostle Paul who was, was in retreat, was sort of persona non grata of the early church because of the persecution. And Barnabas said, I'm gonna go find him in Tarshish, which was his hometown, and he brought him to Antioch. He vouched for him, and for more than a year, Paul and Barnabas, probably more than Paul, taught the word of God, and the church grew. And in Acts chapter 13, with Barnabas, because of his character and his relational um, equity, he took Paul and they started the first missionary journey which um, began to see Gentile people come to know Jesus Christ as their savior, okay? That's why Barnabas is here. We need to give radically of our gifts and our resources if we really wanna see this community come to know Christ. Here's the point of this passage. The same wonder-working power that worked through the division of languages in Acts 2, the same wonder-working power that healed a man that started this through these guys in jail in chapter 3 is the same wonder-working power that released a people from the grip of money or money and what money can buy that had kept them in their seats so that they could turn around and meet needs of people around them. That's why Barnabas is an example. If we really want to make a difference in this community, guys, we gotta become real Christians. We become real Christians first. Verse 31, memorize it. The place was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit of God and spoke the word of God boldly. We need to be shaken. This is a daily experience. Really be shaken of your fears that really are the drivers in your life and be shaken of your fantasies about what life is really all about, that all your possessions are your own, that your life is your own. Listen, if you're a Christian, that's a fantasy. Your life is not your own. You're, you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is your Lord. He is your Savior. He is the governor of your life, right? But that's, but that's countercultural. Nobody in this room wakes up with that point of view. That comes from the Holy Spirit of God shaking you free of those things and then we need to become radically generous, okay? With not only what we have, of course we think about money, but with our time and with our hearts and even with our homes, as that friend said to me. Maybe we need to open up our homes in new ways. I, I don't know about you, but I've been thinking a lot about this coronavirus and I'm, you know, I don't know where we're going to be in a year. I've been wrong so many times. You know, it's going to be over by spring, you know that. So I don't know where it's going to be. But I do believe this. I think we're all going to wake up in six months, 12 months, 
and say, what did you do, Rob? What did you do, Browncroft Community Church, with the opportunity that you had in this moment? When not just off in some far-off television commercial land that's there too, people are having problems, but right here in Penfield, Fairport, Greece, Rochester, fill in the blank, right here, people are living in panic. People are living in fear. People are living in anxiety. And the things that they had anchored their lives on, whether that was their career or some sort of mild faith belief, are no longer um, um, holding up the weight of, the, of what's happening in their hearts. And they're saying, what's, the, what's real? And are we gonna respond the way they did? I'm talking about the early church. And say, listen, you know what? I may live another X decades, I, may, I, I could die tomorrow, but it doesn't matter because I have an anchor in the soul, which is Jesus Christ. I know where I'm going when I die. I, not because of, of anything I've done, but because of what Christ has done for me. And therefore, and God has met, already met the deepest needs of my life. I don't need to go to the world to be validated. I don't need to go to the world to find my meaning. My meaning has been given to me in, my, in, in Jesus Christ. I can pray, I can, the Holy Spirit has filled me and said to me, and says to me, I love you. You are mine. Uh, you know, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him, hear her. And am I then, can I am freed to go into a world that is in need right now? There may be people in your community, your, 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 your network, your friends group, your softball league, your, you know, whatever it is that you do, right? Your network of people who were not inclined to listen uh, to uh, something about your life or about the faith, you know, 10 months ago, who are today. Are you going to them? Am I going to them? Or are we gonna be just like the world and just play the retreat game, okay? That's what I'm trying to say. So we need to be shaken of our fears and our fantasies. We need to give radically of our resources. And lastly, this passage tells us we need to start praying for great boldness. Now watch this. First, and, and guys, I point this out to say, listen, if it was true of John and Peter, if I think that I don't need to do this I'm, I'm, I'm completely um, fooling myself. If John and Peter, who hung out with the Lord Jesus Christ and, and were, were actually present at Pentecost, you know, and at the Sermon on the Mount, if they were fearful, if they felt empty, you better believe it's gonna be true of me. It's gonna be true of you. I'm not gonna wake up naturally wanting to do and live the kind of life this passage is talking about. Look at verse 29 of Acts chapter four. Now, Lord, this is a part of the prayer. Consider their threats, in this case, the threats of the authorities, and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand and heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. What's so interesting to me about this prayer is what they don't pray for. (laughs) They don't pray, God, protect us, help us. Heal us. No, it doesn't say that. They might have prayed those prayers, but the one recorded here says, listen, Lord, this is what we need in this moment when the world is in such turmoil, when there's even threats to our lives, right? Says it, threats. I'm praying for a great boldness that I can, that I can go towards the problem. I can go towards the trouble. I can go towards, in, our, in a case, the epidemic, 
and the fears connected with it and I can speak boldly the word of God. And I can tell people there is a hope. It's not in the things of this world. It's not even in a vaccine. I hope it comes. It's in the Lord Jesus Christ who died and rose on the third day. And he's come to give you the forgiveness of sins. This is what he did in my life. This is what he can do in yours. Okay? And I, my sense is people, not only do I want to pray for boldness in my life, not only do I want to pray for boldness in the life of this church, but I love the verse 30. Stretch out your hand and perform signs and wonders through the name of your Holy Spirit, Jesus. Listen, we not only need for God to pray to bring boldness and courage in my life and in your life and the life of this church, but we need God to pray to do miracles in our community, right? Amen. We need to, we need to pray. Listen, and you, know, you don't need to be um, a, 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 you know, a trained minister or prayer person to do this, okay? Every single one of you tomorrow, I shouldn't say, most of you are gonna get in your car and go somewhere. Instead of listening to this, that, or the other thing, pray for the people in the communities where you live. God knows who they are. You take a walk on this gorgeous day, pray for the people in your community. Pray for opportunities that God would open up doors for you to have conversations, right? Be always ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you about the hope that lies within you with gentleness and respect, okay? That's what we need to do. And if you and I, if we'll do that, if I'll do that, we pray not only God would give us boldness, but pray, that our com- pray for our community. Who knows what God will do with us? But guys, it doesn't happen naturally. I mean, there's a lot of people, and I've been one of them, maybe you're one of them, who are saved and on their way to heaven because it doesn't take much for that. That's the beauty of the gospel. Uh, simple faith and trust in Jesus Christ will give you eternal life in heaven. I believe that with all of my heart. But that's not gonna turn you into a person or turn us into a church that's changing the community, that has a true change of heart about your own possessions, about your own life, and a sense of true freedom that helps you move toward trouble, toward difficulty with hope. That's a different category altogether, right? You need to be shaken of your fears and your fantasies. That's what's keeping us from being the kinds of people we need to be. It's true for me. It's true for this pastor. It's true for John and Peter. It's gonna be true for me and you. God, help me. This is your prayer. To be shaken of the fears that really drive my life. Write them down. Confess them and ask for the filling of the Holy Spirit. And God, I confess my fantasies, these things I've been carrying around that are just so foolish, that are, that are maybe, maybe stock trade of, of, the, of the world that we live in, right? The advertising world we live in, of course, it's all about building your own kingdom and making your own security. But that's not what God's called us to do. That's a fantasy. That's foolishness. I need to be shaken free of those things so that I and you and we might bring hope to this community. But you're gonna have to pray for it. And you're going to have to get serious. I am. And let me just say this. Just one opportunity. A couple things I would encourage you. Go to browncroftcares.org and you'll see there's some opportunities. These are small opportunities. But let's take advantage of them. There's also a button on there that'll share a, a kind of a, a, a year in review of some opportunities, some things that you guys have done. I wanna, I, I, this church has done a lot of great things. But we're also going to pray even, you know, in the midst of this, you know, socially distanced world that we're in here next Saturday for an hour. Well, if we have to, we're going to be in the lobby if we have enough people to fill this room and we'll, we'll do what we need to do um, socially distanced. 
But let's get together and, and, and pray as a congregation. I invite you to do that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. Lord, I, we love you and we, we just come to you this morning with a, with a hunger, I do anyway, to want to see a greater work of your spirit in my own life. Lord, I pray that you would shake me from my fears and my fantasies today. I pray that you would shake us of our fears and our fantasies today such that we might be um, true, committed, um, surrendered followers of Jesus with, a, with, a, with, a, with an unusual power to live a different kind of life in this community, in our communities. Such, Lord, that people would um, turn their hearts towards you. So I pray you'd help us in Jesus' name. Amen.